What is Charting the Life Course, Tracy? So Charting the Life Course is a tool to assist you in creating a vision for the future. It is designed to help you think about the questions to ask, as well as think about choices, options, and life experiences to consider as you plot a course to a full and meaningful life. Hi, this is Steve. And this is Carrie, your co-host. Today we visit with Tracy Vincent of the Michigan DD Council about something called Charting the Life Course. I specifically avoided calling that a program because it's not. We already have enough programs and a long list of acronyms to go with them. Charting the Life Course offers a framework and some really cool tools that help generate discussion about what we want our futures to look like and how to make those futures turn from dreams into realities. And charting the life course isn't just for people with disabilities. The core belief states that all people and their families have the right to live, love, work, play, and pursue their life aspirations in their communities. So whether you're a mom, a dad, siblings, grandma, or grandpa, these tools can work for you. We understand the last thing you probably want is one more additional layer of complexity when it comes to planning and plotting life strategies. Well, here's some good news for you. You could substitute charting a life course for your next person-centered planning agenda. Yeah, it's not one more thing, but it's a more meaningful replacement for a traditional person-centered plan. So let's listen to what Tracy has to say. We have with us Tracy Vincent from the Michigan Developmental Disability Council to share some information about charting the life course. Tracy, welcome to Navigating Life as We Know It. Thank you so much, Steve. So today we are going to talk about the basic overview of charting the life course framework. Typically in our presentations, we give individuals an opportunity to practice using the tools, but I will be reviewing and going over those tools since you obviously don't have the benefit of seeing these graphics in a podcast, we'll be posting links to them on our website so that you can print them out and use them for your own planning purposes. Tracy, could you give us an idea why these tools are so valuable? The tools really help guide those conversations. They're a visual way to organize your thoughts. And I think that we all do that, but this is a way to visually see those outcomes and work your way towards the good life that you want. Before we get into the actual charting the life course framework, I do want to provide some background information. So the National Community of Practice for Supporting Families is a collaboration between the University of Missouri, Kansas City Institute for Human Development and the National Association of State Directors of Developmental Disability Services. And the National COP for Supporting Families, the goal is to build capacity across and within states to create policies, practices, to better assist and support families that include uh, a member with an intellectual and developmental disability across the lifespan. And before I go a little further, I just want to make sure that for those who are not familiar with the term community of practice, 
It is a group of people who share a passion for something that they know how to do and who interact regularly to learn how to do it better. And so the community of practice was charged with developing a framework to support families. And I do want to mention that the framework was developed by families for families and individuals of all abilities. And that framework that we're talking about is called Charting the Life Course. Now, Michigan is one of the 19 states that participate in the National Community of Practice on Supporting Families. It's a partnership between the Michigan Developmental Disabilities Council and the Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities Administration. So that's just to give you a little bit of background on how the framework was developed and how there's this national community of practice where 19 states are able to share information and learn from one another on creating policies and practices that better support people with disabilities and their family members. Now I want to talk about the key principles of charting the life course and what is starting out why we must think about supports different, differently. On a national level, only about 25% of people and families who experience intellectual and developmental disabilities access formal or paid supports within the DD system. So very small percentage of individuals access paid services. So what about the rest? What about the other 75%? You know, how do they also have good lives? And how do the systems of support consider all people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and families when making policies and improving practices? In the past, conversations about supporting people with disabilities and their families mainly revolved around those who are known to the disability service system. And as we know, that number is very small in relation to the number of individuals with disabilities in the United States. And so we want to make sure that all families have access to and choices about the support that they need. And so we really need to think about the all and to identify and access all different kinds of combinations of support so that individuals don't solely rely on the service system. And charting the life course is much bigger than, you know, just the system because it's really for everyone. I know that as I look at these materials, I would really have welcomed that when I was a younger individual. Definitely is for everybody. Absolutely. And we're going to talk more in depth about how charting the life course is really for everyone and you can use it in your daily life. So now looking at Michigan-specific data, because we just talked about the data on a national level. In Michigan, out of approximately 155,000 individuals estimated to have a developmental disability, only about 19% receive formal services. So there's approximately 80% of individuals who don't receive GD services here in Michigan. Tracy, do we know why that the numbers are so skewed? Well, there could be a variety of reasons. You know, some may never even touch a long-term service system. Some may not want. Some individuals may not qualify. And some may not even know about the system. And so that's why we really have to look at the all. When you think about 
a parent or parents and you just, you know, had a, have a newborn and that newborn was diagnosed with a developmental disability, if you're not provided with information or services or even know about services, then you may not even know what's available. And I think that during that time in your life, you're very um, overwhelmed, um, you know, just being a new parent and then you have a diagnosis and you're just trying to navigate navigate life. And so many individuals don't know about what is available. With our community of practice on supporting families, the DD Council and the Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities Administration, it's a really good partnership because as the DD Council, we do look at the all. We don't just look at individuals receiving services. And so people with disabilities and families are considered in all of our values and our vision so that everyone can have the best, best life possible. You'd mentioned services and supports. Uh, the goal is to make sure that they're not all just provided by the state. And, and the next slide in the visual presentation has three different circles, and they all include the same elements for the most part, but they interact differently. Mm-hmm. Could you kind of explain that services and supports slide? Yeah, we know that services and supports are evolving. So imagine that you're looking at a circle, and in the center of that circle is you. And then surrounding you is another circle that represents your family. And then the third circle wrapped around the family represents your community. And so these three circles show that everyone exists within the context of family and their community. And for individuals who are receiving services, imagine those three circles where you have the person, the family, and the community. But now the services are wrapped around the person. And sometimes these services are wrapped so tightly around the individual. And even though with the best intentions, it ends up cutting them off from their family, friends, and community. And that circle represents traditional disability services. The last circle is where we really want to get to. And that's where the person exists within the context of their family and their community, where they receive a lot of different kinds of support but only where and when they are needed and whether or not they are eligible for paid support. This visual shows the person within the context of their family and community, and this also shows there are stars kind of dotted through the circle. Those stars represent the integrated services and support, which we will get to in part two of the podcast. So now I want to talk about moving to supporting families. In 2010, on a national level, family support professionals and advocates came together to talk about supporting families. After having conversations, they wanted, they really wanted to move away from the term family support because in the 90s, it became a program and it became only about the caregiver or the parent. You know, family support program and services are part of the equation, but thinking about any family member across the lifespan and the type of support they need to really understand the trajectory that a person is on, you know, what goals they have for their life so it's a meaningful, fulfilling life. Now I'm going to take you through the differences between family support and supporting family. Family support 
was defined by eligibility, services, programs available, or by funding available. And supporting families is not a program based on eligibility. It is really the needs that are defined by families across the lifespan, regardless of service provision. Family support is really about the caregiver or parent, but supporting families, the family is defined functionally, and it's inclusive of siblings, parents with disabilities, and grandparents. And as we'll talk later in the podcast, we will really talk about the definition of a family and what that means to a person. There's sometimes tension between self-advocacy and family support, where supporting families really enhances opportunities for self-advocacy and self-determination for individuals. With family support, it's more crisis, immediate response. Um, Typically, we are more crisis-driven, but with supporting families, it's more preventative, long-term planning so that those crises may not happen as frequently or that they're, they're prevented altogether. And then family support is about supporting the caregiver in order to, to decrease demand on long-term services, where supporting families, it creates a quality of life for the person and their family by supporting their many roles. Really, it's supporting the caregiver for the intent and purposes of enhancing the quality of life for that individual. When it talks about creating support for the family, where is that intended to come from? As we get further into the podcast, we're really going to talk about the definition of families and how the family role and the family support will will always be there for that individual. And that support comes through just having the mindset that we are all defined by our family. That's an excellent point. I know we'll expound on that later. There are some people who are very fortunate to have been born into families that offer a tremendous amount of support and encouragement. And we all know people who were born into situations where life has been a real challenge and there hasn't been any continuity or any support there. And not because of anything that they did wrong, that just the cards they were dealt. And so sometimes the family that you create is far more supportive than the family you were born into. And it probably always will be. What is Charting the Life Course then, Tracy? So Charting the Life Course is a tool to assist you in creating a vision for the future. It is designed to help you think about the questions to ask as well as think about choices, options, and life experiences to consider as you plot a course to a full and meaningful life. It is intended to be a starting point no matter where you're at in your life journey. And so Charting the Life course is really about having different conversations. It's a different way of thinking. It encourages high expectations for individuals with developmental disabilities. It's giving people the dignity of taking risks to have those life experiences to move the trajectory into the desired direction. And we will touch on and go more in depth on the trajectory and what that means. And it's also integrating lots of different kinds of support and not just having an all green life. And what I mean by that is all of the Charting the Life course materials and tools are color coded. And anytime that you see the color green, that represents the DD service system. That's the eligibility support. 
We want to make sure that a person doesn't have that all green life fully relies on the DD service system. What charting a life course is not is it's not just about the tools and it's not a program. Like I had mentioned, the tools really help you visualize your thinking and organize your thoughts. Charting a life course is about having conversations and those tools will really help guide those conversations and help people visualize and see through a different perspective. You know, I do have a 31-year-old with developmental disabilities and sat through a lot of IEPs and then a lot of PCPs or person-centered plans every year. And you mentioned high expectations, encouraging high expectations. I think that when we go in with low expectations uh, and we're more concerned about what programs we can qualify for, we don't really look up. We are navigating by looking down. That doesn't give you a target for improving your life. It gets you a target for discontinuing it somehow. Ship captains used to navigate. They'd look up at the stars in order to set their their equipment to make sure they're heading in the right direction. We need to be looking up at what we could be rather than uh, what our limitations are. So we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and uh, you can tell us about the guiding principles of charting the life course framework. That's a very long title for a slide. Back in just a minute. Thanks for tuning in. This is Alex, your producer, here to say hello and let you know what is coming up next on Unlocky. Welcome to the first episode of our two-part series on charting the life course. We hope that this can help every listener in their own journey. Season 1 of Unlocky continues through the first weeks of May, after which we'll be taking a short break to plan new episodes and interview the best people to help us navigate through the next season. If you'd like us to tackle anything specific, reach out on Facebook or just email contact at nlockey.com, and we will put it on the board. We also would like to let you know that we will be setting up a new way to listen to our podcast in the coming weeks that will combine our episodes with the articles and resources we reference and additional content as we develop it. If you enjoy our series, please consider subscribing, sharing, and if possible, supporting our podcast. It takes a lot of work to bring you this content, and we want to bring you the very best content we can. I'll let you return to the show now. Please have a wonderful listening experience. Well, welcome back. We're talking with Tracy Vincent about charting the life course, and we're starting into talking about the guiding principles of charting the life course framework. Tracy, inform us. The first principle that I want to talk about is the core belief. And the core belief is that all people and their families have the right to live, love, work, play, and pursue their life aspirations in their community. You'll notice that we don't say all people with disabilities, but all people because people with disabilities are part of the all. And so we don't need to single them out as different or special. This is not a separate framework for people with disabilities. This is a framework for all. I think once you make it about a particular group, then you have a them instead of an all. And I appreciate, exactly. appreciate the approach they're taking to this. So the first one is the person within the context of family and community, which we hopefully always have. Right. So all individuals exist within the context of family. And this is one of the key principles of charting the life course. 
we're not just looking at the person with a disability, that we recognize that the person had the other people in their family unit. And those people are really their close circle of supporters. We also have to recognize that there are all types of family membership. And so what I really want to stress or point out is that family is defined by that individual. So there are traditional families, mom, dad, siblings, and there are non-traditional families, such as grandparents raising grandkids or children living with aunts, uncles, or other relatives. But the main point is that for that individual, it's who they defined as their family. And sometimes it could even be a support staff or their friends or their peers or, you know, other relatives. And so no matter if the person lives with their family or not, talks to their family or not, or if the family goes to meetings with that person or not, we really have to be open to their definition of family and whatever it means to them. So I really want to just reiterate that family is defined by the individual. Individuals in their family may need supports that adjust as roles and needs of all members change, and it's not dependent upon where that person lives. So this is a really important key principle. We also have to support their family and know that everyone exists within the context of their family, no matter who that family may be. On the slide um, that we're referring to right now, there's a little square that says, family is anyone who loves you unconditionally. Exactly. Your family is the, they're your cheerleaders. They want what's best for you. You know, they're the ones that will be there, make that long-term commitment to you. And it may not be a, a mom or a dad. It may be, like we had mentioned, a grandparent or a peer or maybe a supports coordinator. It's whoever that person defines as their family. Yes, and it could be the combination of all of them. Absolutely. With that, we know that families are complex, but we also know that families help each other, they sacrifice for one another, they hurt each other, they apologize and forgive, and they have fun and celebrate with one another. They have routines and customs and traditions and the way, and they have their own way of doing things. They may have secrets and things that they don't talk about. Families may have troubles or get tired and discouraged. And unfortunately, some families might commit abuse and take advantage of other family members. And we know that families can't do everything. The family is the context for that person. It's the personal outcomes are influenced by the family. So how do we take all of that and think about how that supports us to help support the person that we work with? With all the family complexities and things that families come with, that is the context for that person. As supporters, how is that information going to help us better support that individual? This comes out highly individualistic, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, what are some of the reciprocal roles of uh, all these members of the family? All right. So the reciprocal roles of all family members. Um, And so this slide, there's a caring about box and there's a caring for box. In having conversations with family, what do you think their number one fear is? Hmm. What is going to happen to my loved one when I'm gone? 
And sometimes that fear is so great that many families hold off on those conversations, but those conversations are really important to have. When we start thinking about the future of a child with a disability, we automatically go into the caring for part of the slide. And so we spend a lot of time talking about who is going to provide the caregiving, which is the day-to-day care, who is going to take care of their financial and material needs, such as, you know, a special needs trust or an ABLE account, who is going to advocate for support and be the facilitator of inclusion, inclusion in school, in sports birthday parties, membership, um, church, and those sorts of things. Sometimes we get so focused on the caring for part that few people are listed in the caring about box. The idea behind this reciprocal role is it's a form that you would fill out and you would put in individual names in these areas. And so typically in the caring about section of the form, it's typically the parent's name in those boxes. But if the parent passes away and there's no one in their life that really knows about their child, who's going to advocate for them? Who is going to celebrate holidays, birthdays? Who's going to know about those family traditions and carry those out and really make that lifetime commitment? You know, who is going to be their repository of knowledge for that individual? It's really important for families to really think about who is going to be there when that person is, when when they're no longer able to care for that, for their family member. Tracy, I've had people in the past, when I asked them that question, look terrified and say, there is no one. And that's when I have encouraged them to expand their social networks so that you can develop family if there isn't biological family to carry that on and make that story known about the child. Being concerned about that gets down to the protective fortress thinking again about caring for, just providing uh, an insulation, a protective shield, but it doesn't really let them live. No, absolutely. And, you know, when it's, and that's why it's so important to start thinking about or giving some of those things to others now while you're still around. And to, and, to, and to think about who can provide, who is going to provide that long-term commitment and carry out those traditions for that, for that individual. Because it really doesn't matter if you think you have all the caring for covered when you're gone. I mean, what if that all falls apart? If there's no one in the caring about section to help that person figure it out, then this is all for naught. So those are hard conversations. I mean, it's hard to think about when you're no longer around, but it's going to be even harder for your family member when you haven't had those conversations to really flip the script and really think about, well, if we don't have those conversations, where is that going to leave my family member? But I think it's also possible to turn this into a very strong positive. Let's talk about how we celebrate these things and who the supports are and, and make the conversation among more people, as many as possible. Right, and it's also important to think about your loved one's role and their membership and their reciprocal role because you also need to think about, you know, who does that person care about? Who does your loved one care about? Who do they have relationships with? Do they also need to send birthday cards and, and holiday cards for their loved ones? 
you know, is there someone that they care about that they also care for? Because it is about the reciprocal role of family members. And we all have a role in our family. We all have membership. We all have responsibilities. And it's also important to make sure that if that, if your loved one has that responsibility or other relationships, that they're also supported in, in carrying out that, those activities for that relationship. If you're not participating and just the recipient, uh, you're not really getting the full benefit of family. Absolutely. The reciprocal chart that's for families to complete, that's where they would put in specific names of others who would carry out the caring about for, that in, for their loved one and the caring for for their loved one. So who would be the individuals in your loved one's life that would be the repository of knowledge that would carry out those family traditions that would send your loved one holiday cards, birthday cards, give them affection and self-esteem. And then also listing specific individuals that would care for your loved one, which is, you know, would be the provider of the data, who would provide day-to-day care, who would make sure that they're financially set, that they have what they need, that they're being included in their community, and that you're advocating for. And so it's just a really helpful tool for families to utilize to kind of see who would take over those responsibilities when they're no longer able to. And what's important about that is I think many families, again, I worked as a financial planner and helped individuals plan the trusts and fund the dreams, et cetera, and all that. But I think it's important to realize that very seldom will you find one person that has those four skill sets. Moms and dads try to do all this, and it's a lot of balls to juggle. The worst that can happen here is if you say, gee, we don't have anybody, that's where you start looking for that person. Absolutely. It's so important to build those relationships now. The next we have life stages and individual and family cycles. Not bicycles. These are C-Y-C-L-E-S. <laughs> Yes, and so this slide, across the top of the slide, it goes through the individual life stages. And so you have birth, early childhood, school, then you're in transition years, and then you transition into adulthood, and then into aging. And then you also have the, the family cycles of you're a single adult to a new couple, couples with children, then you're launching children, and then you have family later in life. What I really want to point out is that, you know, individuals and families can focus on the specific life state with an awareness of how prior, current, and future life stages and experiences will impact and influence that person's trajectory. And so what happens to us early on in our lives can have a significant impact on our quality of life and well-being for the future. So we really have to consider that individual, the stage of life that they're in currently, but also what stage other family members are in in their life. Are the parents aging? Because that's going to affect that person's trajectory. Are the siblings raising their own families? Or is a sibling moving away and going to college and no longer living at home? Because those stages will affect other life stages to come. So as an example, if you're a 12-year-old who has autism 
but the family now also has a new baby in the house, how will that affect that person's trajectory, that 12-year-old with autism? What's that, what it will life look like for that, you know, for that individual? Or if you're a 45-year-old individual with developmental disabilities and you have a parent who is, you know, 65 or older or caring for an elderly parent now, what will that do to the person's trajectory? So we really just kind of have to consider the person and, and how we support them in the context of their whole family dynamic. Because those dynamics change and they change all the time. And so we just have to be cognizant of all of those different types of situations that happen. I would like to just talk about the good life for all. So everything that I've been talking about all leads to what Charting the Life course is about. And that is a good life for all, where the individual will achieve self-determination, interdependence, productivity, integration, and inclusion in all facets of community life and that families will be supported in ways that maximize their capacity, their strength, their unique abilities to best nurture, love, and support all individual members to achieve their goals. And so we really can't do one without thinking about the other. You know, it's really important to consider the needs of both the person and the family because families are an integral part of that person's life and support system. And so what do they also need to be strong and have the capacity to help all family members achieve their vision for a good life? To me, that kind of encapsulate what family love is about, that you're caring for each other. I remember seeing a bumper sticker once that said, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And I think that could be said for a member of the family. If we have, if someone's needs are not being uh, addressed and we don't reciprocate, nobody's going to be happy. So a good life for all. I like that. The last slide is supporting all team members. And there's a neat triangle in there with a compass on it, I think. There's something that looks like a compass. You want to describe that? Yes. So a good life for all entails supporting all team members. And so the framework and tools work for supporting families across the lifespan, for supporting the people who support individuals with disabilities so that they can support their self-determination, and their self-advocacy. Charting the Life course supports all of us so that we're better able to help that individual reach their vision for a good life. Well, Tracy, thank you for joining us today. For the rest of you, I hope we are able to have you back for episode number two. All right. Thank you, Steve. Hi, this is Kerry, and I am the head barista at the Unlocky Chat Cafe. And the co-host. Okay, I'm the co-host. Oh, and this is Steve. And we are here to talk about charting the life course. As parents of children with disabilities, we have a lot in common. And one of the greatest fears, especially for moms, is for the future of our children living with disabilities. What happens when we're gone? And the meme that's out there that is a big tongue-in-cheek for us is, hey, I'm the mom of a kid with special needs. I'm going to have to live forever. I don't have time to die. I have too many things to do. You have to schedule it. No, there is no, no, no it is off the board, you know. 
so who's going to take on this protective parent role and make sure everything is going smoothly for our adult children living with disability when we're not there? And I don't, I've never wanted this to be dumped on or to just have one of his siblings pick all of that responsibility up. That, that, that's not, that would not be the option I want. I don't want that to happen like that. I want everybody to be involved in Liam's life. And I want, you know, I, I really liked how they separated the care for versus the care about. And the care about is the piece that I'm not really sure how to do that. Well, interestingly enough, I mean, a lot of what we've done this first season deals with the care for. And that is very important. It's a matter of special needs trusts and successor trustees and wills and powers of attorney and Medicaid and Medicare. It's all the things that we have to have in place because that's important. Right. But that's the hard things. The soft things are the care about. Yes. The soft things, like you said earlier, and we were talking about, is your, what your mother's that's heart That's my says. mother's heart side of this. Right. Okay. He, I want him to have friends, true friends, not somebody who is paid. I want him to have love and affection and trust somebody else. Who's going to say to him, Liam, you are my hero. I tell him that all the time. And one of the reasons I tell him that all the time is because I'm afraid that when I'm not here to say it, nobody is going to. There's also someone who helps create memories because yep. you do things together. Yep. I remember doing things with you. I remember doing things with my mother and my grandmother that, that are meaningful to me many, many years later. And it's important for our children to have someone who does things with them that are meaningful to them. And also spending time, not because it's scheduled or because it's paid for or because it's based upon attaining some skill, just hanging out. Having someone who just spends time for the sake of, I enjoy being with you. Yep. And then the the personal interests and continuing the traditions and Liam's culture, making sure that those touchstones are constantly done every year. You know, it makes it especially hard because Liam has limited verbal skills. And right. we understand Liamese, but other people don't. So when we try to find the people to fill these roles when we're gone, they have to understand Liamese. Right. So I want us to look at this and, and go through this. We still have one more section to do. Right. And then I want us to actually do that, Steve, and then report back to folks. Oh, that is going to be one of our first shows for season two is going I'm... to be how we did this. Because I want, you know, it seems daunting when something new comes up and you have all these worksheets and you have everything else and these tools. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing all this stuff anyway. I don't have time to go through it. But I think when you do start going through it, you'll find that it just it generates some great conversations. Right. And it's very, very meaningful. Well, um, I know what I want to have in his life, but I'm not really sure how to go about cultivating that. That comes through conversations with other people. I'm you know, not we sure. have a couple of siblings there that would have ideas that we probably wouldn't think about because of their point of view is different from ours. We're the mom and dad. We are the king and queen of the caring for. Right, but I... But we can't do all the caring about by ourselves because when we are gone, then who is going to fulfill that role? Which is what this is all about. Right. And it needs to be something that is sustainable. Yep. Sustainable okay. and changes because Liam will be middle-aged, then he'll be older, and those needs will change. Right. As it is for everybody. Right. 
And we make those changes in our life without thinking too much about it. We just transition. We can't engineer what's going to happen in Liam's life in the future, but we can pretty much discuss the trajectory, which is a term that will come up in the second episode. How are we getting to where we want to go and what needs to happen? How will it happen and who's going to help fill these roles? So it's a great discussion piece. And I think it's a great way to put together that plan for how life should proceed and how we make it good for everyone. Because you know what? I look at this and I'm going to complete one myself. Now, I'm 60-something years old still. But so far. <laughs> you know what? A transition into retirement is like going into a whole new world or a transition into yes. any a new job or a new Absolutely. town that you move to. All yep. those things are part of your trajectory. And it's I think it's very valuable for everybody to go through this process. It's just a discussion type oriented material. And it helps you think about things that we normally kick the can down the road and want to think about it later. You know, for me, it's not a matter of kicking this down the road. I don't even know how to wrap my arms around this elephant. Yeah. Okay. So how do I break the elephant down is, is right. a lot of times that's where I get stuck. I don't know how to take that first bite. That is what we have wrapped up for part one. Part two coming next week talks about things like trajectories and and it talks about a number of things that we're going to, I think you'll find quite helpful and gets into the tools that you use, which are just basically worksheets with questions on it. You know, not, this is not a heavy thing. Uh, and I think you'll find it very valuable. Now let's roll the credits. Thank you, my dear wife, for co-hosting this with me. Absolutely. Then we want to thank Alex, our chief engineer, and every title that he creates for himself, which is like Grand Poobah, and he's the he's a, the producer and the director and the technician and a number of things. And Holly Johnson is our artistic director and creator of the website. Daniela Munoz is our intern who does a number of things behind the scenes. But most of all, we want to thank you, our, our listeners. listeners. 